Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Okay, everybody, welcome to Conspiranormal. This is your host, Adam Sane, and uh, flying solo tonight. And uh, going to get right into the guest. I have on the line Micah Hanks. And this is uh, Micah's official third time on Conspiranormal. However, last week, <laughs> we were Chris and I were here. We were doing the show with Micah. Everything's running, running great. We started talking about cattle mutilations, and we're just sitting here, and all of a sudden, just everything just goes black. Had a complete power outage for 30 minutes. It took me another 30 minutes to get the internet to come back on, and by that time, I just said, forget it, we'll do it next week. So, Micah, thank you for enduring, and thank you for coming back on Conspiracy Normal. <laughs> well, hey, brother, it's always my pleasure to be here, you know, because I, I have had a little, a little bit of intelligence uh, brought to the uh, to the table since last Monday when we attempted this last time. Speaking of intelligence, I'm not convinced entirely that it wasn't brainwaves that took out the power last <laughs> week. So let's just hope that the the level of intellectualism going on between us here doesn't do the same thing again. Maybe it'll be power on my end. Then again, down here in the bunker, I've got a lot of uh, you know backups and things uh, to maintain oh. broadcast uh, fortitude and integrity at all times, even in the midst of a power outage. Now that said. Um, the intelligence that has arrived at the news desk of Grayling International since last week is that I may, in fact, um, be vying for the uh, position of favorite Elvis impersonator among conspiranormal <laughs> listenership. So very, 
very excited to be on the show tonight uh, with that bit of information in mind. Hey, you know, you got a gig, you come over here, live in Memphis, or go to Las Vegas, you know, you got a gig anytime waiting for you, probably over here, over here, Micah. It wouldn't be too bad. It wouldn't be bad, yeah. As a matter of fact, in the words of the king himself, hey, that's all right, Mama. (laughs) Mama. Mama. The reincarnation of Elvis is all with us tonight, everybody. That's right. Or Andy Kaufman, (laughs) or both, you know, who knows. And I do believe that the brainwaves traveled all the way here from Asheville, North Carolina, to Nashville, Tennessee, and and uh, and disrupted any kind of circuit and uh, turned my power off. And <laughs> brainwaves. If anything goes wrong, man, he's a simple fix, man. Brainwaves. Either that or the Brain- either that or the NSA cut it off. That's right. Yeah. Or or in a, you see that's the thing. This is what I'm worried about. You know, my my other gig is you know futurist. Uh, and, 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 you know, artificial intelligence and singularity and all this stuff. So if we wanted to take that approach real quick, what we could say is that great big motherboard that they've got in that bunker under that huge building out west, where is it, Utah, Colorado, wherever, Wired, you know, Wired Magazine, I think, did a, a feature on it a few months back. Whatever that great big thing is, the the, the, the mainframe, as it were, uh, that computer, much like in Robert Heinlein's uh, The Moon is a Horse Mistress, no doubt that computer will become self-aware and will become a literal mother brain. And therefore, the mother brain, when it wants to take down a program like Conspiranormal, what better program to take down than this one? You know? Right. So, so the brainwaves, they may be of an artificial or a synthetic variety, but brainwaves nonetheless. Brainwaves direct from the mother brain out there in Utah of the NSA. The entire spy program is being monitored and, and controlled by an, an artificially intelligent machine. I, I may have made my show too obvious of a name to, uh, so that they could find me, possibly. Yeah, but they also say, as you know, Adam, best place to hide something is right out in the open. Good That's right. You're a real good. You're American. American. Actually, I'm, I'm going to drop the American thing and just say you're a patriot. I don't know that everybody likes being called American anymore, but you know, I mean, I, I don't mind it. But, but you're a patriot, son. Hidden in plain sight, as Alex Jones would say. Alex Jones. <laughs> no, not Alex Jones. You, are you sure you want to go ahead and get into that now? Well, we can get into that later because uh, one place Alex Jones is not going to be in October is the Paradigm Symposium. That's true. That's true. Now, you know, uh, one of my associates here uh, with the Greatly Imported uh, been vying for trying to get Alex at Paradigm Symposium. Oh, uh, really? Yeah, I don't know that he would have done it, though. I don't think that's really his kind of event. Um, he, you know, he might. You never know because, I mean, George Norrie was at our event last year. And yeah. if coming back, I think Alex would maybe entertain the idea uh, so long as George Norrie was involved and another two of them are friends. I personally would like to meet Alex. Um, I have a lot of uh, respect for Alex. Um, I, I enjoy his program, and I think that in terms of entertainment and also in terms of the information that it provides, as well as his websites, InfoWars and Prison Planet, I mean, I, I'm, I'm really a, a fan of what Alex does, but um, as you alluded, we'll get into that a little later because I do have a bone to pick with him, and it seems that every few months... Every time tragedy strikes, I have a bone to pick with Alex Jones, and there are simply some things, some claims that he makes uh, that I do not agree with. But, again, we'll get to that a little later. You're right. He's not going to be at Paradigm Symposium, and that's not because he's not welcome there. It's merely because, well, I don't think his people uh, were contacted by my people soon enough or or at all. Who knows what happened there? Um, But I'll tell you who will be at Paradigm Symposium this year. Yours truly, along with the uh, the ever-enigmatic and... And, of course, absentee uh, Scotty Roberts, who we'd hope to try and go on the program tonight. And he's, of course, probably busy again taking care of family matters. And then we've also got, you know, the usual 
uh, cast and crew, Dr. John Ward, uh, Dr. Robert Schock, uh, P.Z. Myers, the, the you know infamous uh, skeptic and, uh, and uh, evolutionary biologist. Uh, he calls himself, rather than a skeptic, a confrontationalist. Um, I think he's a good debater, though. I think he's a, he's a really good debater. He, he, as a matter of fact, Scotty and he met at a debate uh, last year, and that's how Scotty came to be known, with, uh, you know, or, or how P.Z. came onto Scotty's uh, radar. You know, you know, I think the thing was is it was billed as being an uh, ancient aliens debate, and they tried to call Scotty because he'd written books about the Nephilim, the, uh, as you call it, the N-word. Yeah. <laughs> he'd written a book about the Nephilim, and they tried to bill him as an ancient alien theorist. And Scotty is like me. Neither of us endorse ancient alien theory, and we've said so publicly. P.Z. Myers, of course, was being the skeptic. And uh, in his debate, of course, he sat there and he flipped through Scotty's book. Scotty hadn't been told it was going to be a debate. He'd been told it was a panel discussion. And P.Z. basically ripped Scotty apart, uh, calling him an ass-plucking Nephilimer. And basing everything, yeah, basing everything, Adam, on the premise that Scotty endorsed ancient alien theory. So he's going to be, and this is cool, Scotty uh, invited him to Paradigm, and he blogged all, all over his website that, uh, you know, he was invited but didn't bother to attend the Paradigm Symposium. And, and basically sat there and talked trash. He spent two uh, blog posts talking smack about Scotty. And so Scotty, you know, again, he took the high road and he says, look, PZ, you said that you didn't bother to come out to Paradigm Symposium, why don't you come this year and put your money where your mouth is? You can sit here on your blog and you can badmouth me, but I've invited you to come to my event, and you, your words the first time around were, oh, well, then I'd be in the enemy camp, wouldn't I? Well, PZ, if you don't have anything to hide, and it's not so much a challenge, it's, you know, we really thought he'd be an interesting speaker, you know, come out and, and speak at Paradigm Symposium. So he's going to be speaking on the scientific validation for uh, ancient alien theory, which, of course, he will be positing that there is none. But again, he's a good debater, and uh, he and Scotty, of course, met during a debate, and uh, I think in PZ's mind, he probably won. You know, I might just venture to say that he's a master debater. <laughs> very good, very good, very good. Yeah, yeah so, so he's, among, he's among our speakers as well. And again, you know, I think that what that shows is that we've got, with all due respect to PZ, you know, uh, I think that uh, we have a very diverse group of people. Dr. Robert Bouval, uh, who, of course, has co-authored books with Graham Hancock, We've got, um, as a matter of fact, and this is one of the guys I'm really excited about, um, another that uh, maybe our friends on the extreme left would call a racist because he is looking at alternative theories to history. Why, again, that people who want to question uh, you know, conventional science and history always have to be called racists? Well, we could get into that sometime as well. But Scott Walter, the History Channel's, um, with the host of History Channel's America on Earth, he's, I happen to know that Scott's a wonderful guy. I've corresponded with his wife. Can't wait to meet him at Paradigm Symposium. And so as you can see, and I, with all the, 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 the little you know, uh, random brain droppings along the way as I've been you know, divulging some of the speaker lineup, you can see that there's actually quite a bit of controversy about the speakers at this year's Paradigm Symposium. Because again, especially with the belief versus skepticism argument, I noticed that the skeptics tend to look at the people who advocate ancient mysteries and theories and they'll say that they're non-academic or they'll say that they're racist. Or they will say that they are, you know, this or that. Um, you know, they'll do anything essentially to detract from the argument. Now, I don't see guys like Scott Walter or Robert Bavall or Dr. Robert Schock going out there and calling the skeptics or the evolutionary biologists or anyone racists or doing the same sort of thing with them. It's interesting that uh, the the ways that the two groups attack one another tend to be very slanted, where the skeptics are harsh, uh, abrasive, often degrading. 
you know, and deliberately um, rude. Uh, you know, and then of course the people who are the alternative historians, they tend to kind of take the higher road. But by the same token, maybe some of them could be a little more skeptical themselves. Uh, in truth, um, there seems to be a lot of ad hominem attacks going around. Of course, of course, and, and yeah. see that's what's interesting about Paradigm Symposium this year. You know, I don't think this is the biggest selling point about the event. Um, I think the biggest selling point actually would be that I can tell you, as one of the co-planners and coordinators of this thing, that you'll not see another event like Paradigm Symposium anywhere. This is not an ancient aliens event. This is not a UFO event. It has elements of both, and it has elements of other things. And it's just, I'm telling you, across the board, a very different kind of an event, but it's also one where you get to have one-on-one close interactions with people like me. I mean, people were amazed. There was this couple, uh, David and Claudette Huber from Canada, um, certainly they wouldn't mind me mentioning them by name because we became very good friends at last year's event they couldn't believe that they were sitting there at breakfast at the hotel before the event actually kicked off on the second day having breakfast with me and Ben and Aaron from Mysterious Universe and Red Pill Junkie you know, who does the Red Pills of the Week and blogs for Daily Grail and Trepid Mag they, they couldn't believe that they were literally, and, and, and the, you know, we said no seriously come here have, have a seat hang out with us you know it's a great opportunity and we work probably harder than any other event to foster that kind of an attitude and that kind of an atmosphere at Paradigm Symposium. If you come to this event, you're going to get to hang out with us, get to know people. You know, you're going to be able to interact with these speakers and ask them questions. And, of course, you know, have access to a wide range of different people who are also, like you or me, involved in this field and who are very interested in the research. Now, that would be the, the big selling point. The one I don't think that's going to be as appealing to people is what I've been talking about here. We have a lot of diversity. We have a lot of diversity. We've got people on a skeptic camp, people on, you know, some of these people actually do advocate alien theories and things like that, some of our speakers. But I think that what's incredible about it is that unlike most events, because of that different wide kind of demographic that we draw from for our speaker base, you know, people from all over the world, uh, you know, again, it contributes to this kind of a multicultural flair this kind of an educational, uh, you know, atmosphere. And, and it, again, it's just, it's a very unique event. And so Paradigm Symposium, I mean, I have to tell people, if, if you, and of course I'm going to say this, but I wholeheartedly believe it, if you want to go to an event, and if you can only pick one event you go to for the remainder of 2013, you know, you need to look at Paradigm Symposium because you're going to get a little bit of everything, a little of the unusual, a little of the unexplained, a little of the ancient mysteries. You're going to get a skeptical angle and approach too. There's a little Hollywood in there just as well. Dan Madsen, of course, who's been an actor and a, and a Hollywood journalist, you know, he's been very close with a lot of the actors and the, even the directors of films over the years, including Star Wars, Indiana Jones, you know, the Star Trek series and things like that. And Scotty, uh, you know, of course, my co-planner, Scotty Roberts, met Dan Madsen, uh, the gentleman I'm talking about, on the set of Star Trek Next Generation, and he was introduced to Patrick Stewart that day. So, you know, we've got a little of that and, oh really? Yeah, yeah, and it's it's just an incredible event that just covers a wide range of areas, and you know, truly, people, uh, everyone, no matter who you are, what you know, you prescribe to in terms of your belief, I think everyone will come away from Paradigm Symposium uh, with a slightly different perspective on reality, and it's so worthwhile to attend. So, of course, the date's October seventeenth to the twentieth. It's going to be held at the Union Depot in historic St. Paul, Minnesota. And uh, tickets are selling incredibly fast. I think we've just got a few of the large, the biggest tickets. But you, if you go to paradigmsymposium.com, Adam, you can, you know, your listeners can scroll down the page. You'll see there are three tiers for tickets. And um, 
you know, we've still got a few tickets left. I'll tell you that. But they are selling quick. It's getting to that time of the year. So that's the Paradigm Symposium. And again, you know, something I've toiled over, poured blood, sweat, and tears into, and of course couldn't be prouder to be a part of. You've also have a couple of people that have been on my show. Um, Nick, of course, besides you and Scotty, uh, Nick Redford and uh, David Weatherly are going to be speaking at it too. Nick and and David are two of my very favorite uh, guys in the world. David Weatherly, you know, and I, uh, I'm I'm very glad that since last summer when we met in Sacramento, David and I are a phone call away. I mean, as a matter of fact, I I sent him a text message and had him on at the last minute on my show last night because I try to get him on for regular updates when, when big news is happening. And, um, you know, Nick Redfern, of course, is also, he's, he wrote the forward to my first book, and we stay in touch. Uh, as a matter of fact, I think I wrote an endorsement for his most recent book as well, and I don't remember which one that is because he puts out so damn many books. God. <laughs> you know, everybody asked, you know, where he was at Paradigm last year, you know. Well, he hung out most of the time, but at night, he wasn't, on the, he, he wasn't down there in the, in the hotel uh, uh, lobby or in, the, uh, or in the restaurant or anything, you know, drinking and ha- hanging out. No, he was upstairs writing another book. No, I'm kidding, but... <laughs> You know, hey, we've been talking for about 15 minutes, and I'm pretty sure he's already written another book right now. Another one, yeah. Scotty and I, after Paradigm last year, we actually had to start a meme that, you know, while you were sitting here reading this blog post, Nick Redford <laughs> finished another 40,000 words on Sasquatch. You know, it's true. You know, he's one of the most prolific writers uh, out there right now. And yeah, Nick will be there. Marie D. Jones and Larry Flaxman. You know, again, I was kind of highlighting the first time around there. Uh, the ancient mystery speakers and the skeptical bent that we've brought into Paradigm this year. But, I mean, of course, a lot of the, 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 the tried and true favorites, and these guys were all there last year, Nick Redfern, David Weatherly, Marie D. Jones, Larry Flaxman, Anthony Sanchez. You know, a lot of these kind of speakers, they definitely bring more of the paranormal angle to Paradigm Symposium. And so, again, it's just a very unique experience to be able to come up here, you know, meet all these people. Uh, and I know that last week when we got cut down, let's see if it happens again this week, We'd gotten around to talking about cattle mutilations. Yeah. The reason we brought cattle mutilations to the table in the first place is because uh, the co-host of the Paracast, Chris O'Brien, Paracast actually happens to be one of my favorite shows, and uh, Chris O'Brien is going to be not only speaking at Paradigm Symposium, but he's going to also be presenting and launching uh, his brand new book, which is called Stalking the Herd. And I'm telling you, again, this guy has taken a totally different approach to studying cattle mutilations than anyone else. And I would wager that he's probably been out there, and, and if I remember the, the number he told me, he's probably personally investigated more than 200 cattle mutilation cases. Not a lot of people who have studied the phenomenon uh, can really say that, with maybe the exception of uh, you know Linda Moulton, Moulton Howe and a couple of others. Um, so, again, Chris O'Brien's going to be there this year, and you know someone I've gotten to know very well over the years. He's a great guy, and he's just fascinating. So I can't wait to, to see this presentation where, where else can you go and you can hear about the actual date of the Sphinx, where you can hear about whether black Africans were interacting with ancient Egyptians and lending to their technology, where you can hear about the ancient mysteries of pre-Columbian America, where you can hear about evolutionary biology and whether or not that ties at all into any evidence for ancient alien theory. And then, by the same token, you'll get to hear about the pyramids in the Pentagon, or you'll get to hear about viral mythology, or you'll hear about the black-eyed children. Oh, yeah. <laughs> David Weatherly's put out, uh, Strange Intruders, which I tell you, if you've never seen David Weatherly speak, you know, hearing him on a radio show, he's, he's damn good. If you see him speak, you'll scare the damn daylight out of him. He's one of, the, he's one of the creepiest speakers in the best kind of ways, and we had so many people email us after Paradigm this year and say, you know, arguably David's 
presentation was the best one all weekend, and it scared us so bad that you know we we didn't want to we didn't want to have to walk outside the hotel after dark. So, you know, it's it's going to be really good to hear what he has to say about the strange intruders. I of course wrote the forward for that book, and then bringing it all home, we've got Chris O'Brien talking about cattle mutilations, and there are many others too. I, I you know I could go on. Uh, but if you want to see the full list of speakers, I just advise people to go to ParadigmSymposium.com, and you'll see all the information there on the main page about who we have lined up for this year. Would you say you have a little more um, diversity in um, topics as opposed to last year? I would, and that was intentional. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's funny. When Scotty and I first started talking about it, we, we I think Scotty, funny enough, because Scotty's not a UFO researcher. I certainly am. Um, and that's probably what I'm best known for is UFO research. But Scotty even brought to my attention the other day, uh, you know, when we first started talking about this, you know, I think I kind of, kind of envisioned it more as a UFO event. I think what it was was that for a first-time event, we, you know, Scotty and I know what we're doing. We've had some experience with planning and, and, and event coordination and things in the past, independent from working together. But when he approached me about doing Paradigm Symposium, um, we, we had high hopes. Um, but, you know, I think that we may have viewed those as being... In truth, unrealistic. Uh, and what I mean by that is that, you know, Scotty and I had said, well, we can get our Intrepid magazine. And I wasn't, a, a, you know, a, an editor of, of Intrepid like I am now. Uh, I wouldn't, again, lay claim to the full title of editor because I, I have to say that my cohort, Scotty, does, uh, you know, the vast majority of that just as well. But, uh, you know, I certainly have come on board and, and assisted with that because, as many Intrepid subscribers know, like most magazines these days, unfortunately, we're a bit behind schedule by a couple of months, and so we're trying to, you know, get out a couple of issues prior to Paradigm this year. Uh, in addition, of course, the you know the, the print copy that we'll have at the event this year, uh, that will also serve as the program guide for the event. But yeah, so when we kicked it off, we knew we would have intrepid speakers involved, and I think Scotty had seen this more as a thing where we would have, you know, of course, our friends in the UFO field, Stanton Friedman, you know, my buddy Rich Dolan, people like that, people who honestly and truth, uh, I see in the very near future becoming a part of the event Paradigm Symposium. Because we do try and change the theme a little every year. Last year, it was undeniably ancient aliens. And, of course, ancient aliens was the big thing at the time. And on a lark, Scotty just said, you know, I'm just going to see if we can get Eric Von Danica. And I said, you'll never get him. He hasn't been to the United States in 10 years. You know, you'll, you'll never get him. And, uh, but because of the level that, the, of professionalism, I think, that Scotty brings to this, the passion, the dedication, and, honestly, he's just got a, a friendly, jovial attitude. Uh, we were met with warm reception by uh, Eric and uh, his assistant Raymond Zercher, and uh, and you know they, with pleasure, uh, to borrow Von Daniken's words, uh, you know agreed to uh, you know take a chance on these first timers, Scotty and I, and and come to America for the first time in a decade to be at that event. Uh, and once Von Daniken had agreed, and we we were able to say right off the bat that we had Von Daniken, Scotty says, you know. We need to get George Norrie. Now, of course, I had had George Norrie as a guest on Grayling Report, and going through the, the channels with Premier Network, we were able to get George Norrie just as well. Um, and George and the people at Premier, I maintain, are, if, I tell you, if you work with them, you're working with true professionals. They're absolutely the best in the business. I know some, you know, a lot of people have their gripes about Coast and maybe the direction that the program's gone since Art Bell left and when George took over. George definitely has a different approach and a different worldview. Than right. RPL, who, as we now know, is of course coming back to radio and going to Sirius. Yeah, but, you know, I maintain that uh, you can look at it as a different program, but Coast to Coast is still a damn fine program. And those people, George, Tom Danheiser, you know, he and I may have may have been separated at birth. You know, he, I, I can <laughs> be your friend, I really do. And uh, 
And, and I'll tell you what, behind the scenes for Planning Paradigm last year, I might, I might have lost my mind a couple of times if Tom Danheiser, uh, the Coast to Coast uh, M producer, hadn't been involved. So they're great people. And, uh, and, of course, that was kind of where we went with last year's program. You know, Von Daniken, George Norrie, and then, of course, some of the other Ancient Aliens stars were involved. We didn't want to do the same thing again this year. And so you may notice that, uh, you know, our lineup has changed. There's some people who have, you know, stayed on board. And, and of course, we've kept on board, I should say. Uh, and then, you know, some of the bigger names, of course, from last year, uh, while they might be a great draw, we wanted to try and present a different kind of an event. We got away from Ancient Aliens, and now we're looking more at Ancient Mysteries. But right. we, from the outset, we'd actually talked about, uh, you know, taking things actually more in a conspiracy direction. And, and I don't know that this year would have been perfect for that, but after this year, and after all we've seen in the news this year, maybe conspiracy theories will be the inevitable uh, slant for next year's Paradigm Symposium. We'll always have kind of that worldly, that kind of international feel. We love to have speakers from all around the world that, that attend this event, but... But, you know, you can guarantee that Paradigm Symposium will always be growing, changing, and expanding. And that's part of what makes it so fun. Conspiracy would be right up my alley, Micah. I think it would. You know, and if that <laughs> ends up happening, if, if we ever do take it in that conspiracy direction, you know, dang it, I'm going to have to fly you up there and have you up there for Paradigm Symposium. I would love to come. I yeah. would love to come. Uh, so moving kind of off from Paradigm Symposium, and we'll give out the dates later on before, uh, before we end here, but... Uh, what are you working on now, Micah, other than getting ready for the, uh, for the big event? Well, you know, believe it or not, I, I decided I'd get in on the, the Nick Redfern Brad Steiger game. Because Brad, Brad, of course, being one of the old dogs in the field, when he was a teenager, literally at the outset of the, of the American institution known as Fate Magazine, Brad Steiger, he was still in his teens when he started writing articles. Yeah, he's been around for a long time. He is incredible. Yeah, and again, I'm, I'm so blessed to, to know Brad. Brad and I've never met in person, but um, you know, he has been a um, he's been a mentor to me. Uh, you know, I was given the opportunity to interview him long before I'd written any books or anything of my own. Uh, and again, you know, he was one of those kind, gentle souls that took time at his busy schedule, and he's very busy. Yeah, you know, if you want to book him on a, sh- a show, you typically have to get him, you know, months in advance. But he was willing to set up a time. And do an interview with me back before I had I hadn't even hardly cut my teeth in this area of research, and we talked uh, about something that he is not uh, as as closely associated today. But I, I would argue that he's probably as knowledgeable as any expert, maybe more so than most. We discussed cryptozoology, and uh, I'll never forget Brad Steiger telling me uh, at the very outset. Uh, that uh, I can't believe that, that sound just came through because that's on my end, and I never have Facebook open during interviews for that very reason. So I'm going to, but the reason why, and I'll tell you, is uh, that and now I can't shut that off either because I was actually literally emailing one of my correspondents through Facebook before we went to air, and I want to get around to what he sent me here in just a few minutes. So hopefully we won't hear that sound again. But I'm actually talking. No problem. Yeah, I'm sending a message right now. <laughs> Respond with a guy in Germany. You'll see what he had to say here in a minute because it's all going to come around as part of this conversation. Okay. But um, maybe I could actually just copy what he's what he's written and bring that over, and that way we won't have sound. But all that to say, Brad Steiger. I'm talking with him that night, and uh, I asked him about the Minnesota Ice Man. Your, your listeners may be familiar with it. And of course, I think it's actually come uh, come back around to uh, to pass that that was indeed a carnival sideshow uh, uh, opportunity. It was it was not an actual. Uh, beast, if you will, um, and the what is believed to be the original ice 
Iceman, the Minnesota Iceman, has been discovered. But there have been a lot of stories about that over the years and what that may or may not have been. One being there had been an actual creature that was replaced with a Hollywood dummy uh, somewhere along the way. Now, um, talking with Brad Steiger, he didn't see the Iceman, but he told me this incredible story about getting the phone call from Ivan Sanderson and, and, you know, again, Brad would have to have been in his early 20s or so maybe at the time. Ivan Sanderson calls him, and he says, I could hear the wind whipping in the background, Micah, and he was there with Bernard Huevelmans. They had just seen this thing. And he says, I'll never forget the excitement of hearing Ivan Sanderson's voice saying, My boy, I've done it. I've found what I've always searched for, proof that the abominable snowmen do exist. So, yes, anywho, that, that's my Brad Steiger story. Brad has written a lot of books over the years. Brad is probably the only guy next to Nick Redfern that puts out that many books and is frequently and is such an authority on the subject. And I'm trying to get it's true, on. Yeah. I'm trying to get in on that a little too, Adam. Yeah. So uh, since the UFO Singularity came out back uh, around the first of the year, I've written another book already. Can you believe that? And this one is called The Ghost Rockets. Um, the Ghost Rockets does not solely deal with. It certainly begins with the stories of rockets and projectiles of unknown origin that appeared immediately. Uh, I guess, yeah, yeah, it was, well, the summer of 1946, yeah, immediately after the Second World War. They were mostly seen over uh, Scandinavia. But it doesn't end there. Uh, this story has continued, and uh, I take the readers in this book from the, the 1940s, even during the war, and I bring them all the way up to the present day with reports of unexplained crashes and collisions and objects that are seen from passenger planes that have occurred as recently as this year. Um, along the way, we look at ghost rockets in the atomic age. Uh, of course, you know the 50s and the 60s, and we talk about nuclear technologies and things like this and the potentials for secret aerial technologies to have been created and developed behind the scenes by different organizations uh, and agencies here on Earth. Then we look, of course, at uh, one of my favorite uh, within the context of, of discussing missiles and, and things like that, the Aer Lingus um, uh, Irish Sea air crash uh, of the late 1960s. We look at a similar incident that occurred uh, over Italy. Then we look at TWA Flight 800. Um, while I do not necessarily pose the theory in the book that a missile took down TWA Flight 800, that has been proposed over the years. Yeah, it uh, has. Mm -hmm. And so we do talk about that a bit, but I focus in that portion of the book more on the reports. And this is interesting, uh, and it's also verifiable, as people who read the Ghost Rockets will see, uh, there were at least two incidents that involved rockets or missile-like objects being observed by trained pilots and the crews aboard commercial aircraft that were leaving JFK International Airport and flying out over Long Island Sound within the months and weeks leading up to the crash of TWA Flight 800. And there were even a couple of incidents that occurred after the crash just as well, that when the pilots had observed these things, it looked like rockets shooting straight, straight up out of the sea. You know, there had been a couple of instances where they'd been so terrified that they almost literally turned around and went back to JFK. Um, now, my question is, we may have an official explanation for the crash of TWA Flight 800, but why the hell were there rockets and missiles as, as reported by other pilots? that were being seen before and after that crash, and that's something that almost no one else has talked about. I've never even remotely even heard of that. Yeah. This is the first time. 
Well, what's interesting is that there was an organization that was called the uh, Association of Retired uh, um, Aviation Professionals, I believe. Uh, Bill Donaldson, who's deceased now, but he had been a former uh, aircraft crash investigator. Uh, he formed that organization in response to what he thought was information that was not being released to the public by the FBI and other organizations uh, during the crash of the TWA Flight 800 investigation. Uh, Bill Donaldson uh, put together a website for the, uh, the uh, Associated uh, Retired Aviation Professionals, uh, and you can still see that website. It's still available online. Uh, I think it's, I believe that the site actually may be TWA800.com. Uh, uh, I'm not sure I'll have to check on that. But anyhow, uh, the, that website had some of the information. That picked my interest because they had some information linked to that site that talked about what appeared to be rockets or projectiles that had been seen before the TWA crash. And I thought, what? Digging a little deeper, I also went to uh, Peter Davenport's uh, National UFO Reporting Center and found similar reports uh, there, as well as in other uh, news uh, 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 sites and things like that from over the years. And I found, I think, I, if, I, if I remember correctly, there's a total of three or possibly four incidents that involve what appear to be projectiles that were seen uh, passing over Long Island Sound, viewed by, uh, you know, the uh, the uh, crews and more specifically the pilots and the co-pilots aboard these commercial flights. So, and some of them were international flights. You know, a couple of them. Uh, you know, I think uh, one was a British Airways flight, and then there was a maybe one that was an Iranian Airlines uh, uh, flight as well. So it's interesting that you know there were multiple witnesses. Um, trained professionals from all different parts of the world. Bill Donaldson, he believed that these were the result of shoulder-mounted missiles that were being fired from either a remote location uh, someplace there on the mainland, or they, they may actually literally have been fired from some vessel at sea. But he thought that there were shoulder-mounted missiles being launched at airplanes over Long Island Sound. Right. What actually was going on was that they, there was a terrorist operation they were intentionally trying to bring down a craft. And so Again, you know, the Ghost Rockets gets into some of that, too. There's the conspiracy element, the terrorist element, and then very much also the UFO component to all this. And what's incredible, Adam, is that, you know, again, I've dug into uh, the, the files and the, and the papers and the reports of uh, another agency, for instance. NASA's uh, maintained this one for years. It's called the uh, Aviation Safety Reporting um, uh, Oh, what is it? Let's see here. Aviation Safety Reporting Center, I believe, uh, or system, rather. But anyway, um, what it does is it collects anonymous data from pilots that, you know, basically documents hazards and things like that. And the reason for anonymity is to ensure that litigation or disciplinary action doesn't happen if a pilot has to report something that they think could get them in trouble, but we want to be able to you know, garner that information nonetheless. So it's an anonymous reporting system that collects a lot of data about strange anomalous things that occur. And when I say anomalous, I mean electrical outages, you know, things like that. Typically, it's, it's, it's weather anomalies or it's mechanical failures, things like that. But there are a number of reports of missiles, torpedo-like objects, projectiles and things that are seen streaking dangerously close to planes. And, and here we are talking about this being housed within a uh, database online that is maintained by NASA. So... It's very interesting that these reports continue to this day, and that's essentially what the ghost rockets deals with. So do you think that studying that, looking at that, um, do you think that there is something up with the TWA Flight 800? You know, that was in the news not too long ago. There's a new documentary, yeah. Yeah. I think it was released uh, coinciding with the anniversary of the crash, but uh, 
if I had to say um, that I believe something had gone on, I'll tell you this. Uh, I I try not to be one of these people, which and this may be a nice bridge into uh, talking a little bit about conspiracies, some of the stuff that's going on in the news today, and what I specifically yeah. take issue with Alex Jones for saying. Um, because, again, I think everyone knows that Alex Jones, he's a very well-educated dude. He's a very intelligent guy. Um, he does tend to look at everything, I think, as though there is a conspiracy going on. Um, I try not to be that kind of person. So when people say that the Twin Towers uh, fell and that there was a logical, obvious explanation for why, in other words, that an aircraft hit each of those buildings, uh, I tend to think that the aircraft hitting those buildings had something to do with the fall. And yet, by the same token, in that instance, I am also not someone who's going to say, look, all the official information is out there. Anyone who wants to contest that is an idiot. I'm not going to be that person either. The National Institute for Standards of Technology, in response to a uh, query, I think, made by Infowars.com uh, journalists, had said and, and actually issued a public statement saying that there were aspects of the mechanical failure, uh, you know, specifically involving the structural integrity of the two Twin Tower buildings that could not account for the what was I think termed anomalous freefall that was witnessed, and yeah. and so what's interesting is coming back to TWA Flight 800, it's very similar. We have what appears to be uh, potentially what was potentially viewed at the time as being a terrorist attack. I mean, even FBI uh, spokespeople had said at the outset that they were afraid that a missile had taken the thing down based on what people had said that they had seen. Right. What's interesting is that again I've read all the information about 9/11. And, again, my determination is that there are still some anomalies that are not as easily explained as the editors of Popular Mechanics would have us believe. With TWA Flight 800, I downloaded the official government study, the report that examined the cause. The official reason for the crash, of course, is, a, is I think there was an electrical um, issue that occurred in the center wing fuel tank near enough to it that it caused... Uh, uh, I think it actually wasn't necessarily the fuel itself, but it was the fuel vapors in that tank to ignite, which caused an explosion that took down the plane. Now, that's the official explanation. Yes. But there are some interesting things in that report that need to be addressed, and I'll try and do it very briefly. One out of the hundreds of people who allegedly were witnesses to not just the crash, but potentially also an object streaking up in the, into the sky toward the plane, there were only six or so. I believe, Cer- certainly less than a dozen, but I think it was more like literally like six, seven uh, witness testimonies that were included in a small section of that much longer report, comparatively. And it says notice- notable witness testimonies or notable witness accounts, something to that effect. Uh, one of them posits the theory that a missile took down the crash uh, or, or the aircraft based on witness testimony. Uh, but then, of course, they deconstruct that. And, and, and I think they mentioned that they had told the witness themselves that that information was wrong and corrected their way of thinking. But that didn't account for the literally what some independent researchers have pointed out are hundreds of people who had said that they had seen a missile. Why that wasn't included in the report is interesting to me. Another thing that was interesting and striking about the TWA report was that uh, there, were, there, there was actually an, an examination of the potential for a meteorite strike. If a meteor coasting through the air could have struck the plane. And I think that uh, they had uh, consulted with a statistics professor who had helped them determine that the likelihood of that would be 1 in 75 million every, <laughs> you know, every right. 300 years or something like that. And in other words, it was virtually statistically impossible for a meteor to hit the, the plane. But what was revealing about that 
aspect of the report was that the reason that they looked into that is because they said that there had been an unusual number of meteors or meteor-like objects that had been seen streaking through the northern skies around the time of the crash. That's what kind of got my mind thinking about, okay, so they say that there was an, an unusual number of aerial objects that were seen at the time, believed to be meteors or meteorites. And digging into reports from around that time, what I think, again, conservatively, people have tried to guess were meteors, the pilots had said were not meteors streaking through the sky that we were able to see for you know, a few short seconds like any other bit of falling space debris. But sometimes objects that were traveling parallel, several thousand feet above their craft, moving not only parallel but also moving and lasting uh, you know, for the entire duration of their visibility in the sky until the craft literally maneuvered in such a way that this object could be seen no longer. One of these, you know, the best cases was, again, the one that uh, the entire dialogue between Boston Air Traffic Control and the pilots was released publicly, and then Peter Davenport of the National UFO Reporting Center actually included that on his website, and of course that being released to the public, you know, we, we get into that documentation in the book just as well, and it shows what the pilots were actually describing as they were watching it. It wasn't just the pilots, there were co-pilots and crew members aboard those planes that saw what they described as a missile-like object, obviously a projectile that had a green light on the front that was moving about, I think it was something like 3,000 feet above them to their left, two aircraft, two commercial aircraft leaving JFK uh, Airport saw this thing as it flew uh, on a course opposite of their uh, flight path. They both observed it, and it stayed in the sky long enough for both of the planes to observe it and to watch it as it went flying by, and they said that wasn't a meteor, that was a missile. So why the hell were these missiles up there? If I had to speak specifically to TWA Flight 800, it's interesting that the report specifically mentions, the official report, mentions a greater incidence of you know meteor type objects and things seen in the sky but then again the quote unquote meteors that some of the pilots were seeing weren't maybe weren't meteors at all and in fact these trained professionals were very adamant about the fact that they thought that they were seeing missiles or rockets being launched in another instance i think there was a pink or a red flare that was seen shooting straight up out of the ocean and straight up possibly uh almost coinciding within maybe you know a mile or so give or take with the flight path of a aircraft uh, further out in front, the, the the aircraft that had been in proximity to this you know, rocket-like object, this projectile, in this second incident, had not seen the thing. But another flight crew that had been departing JFK behind that craft had seen the thing go up through the air, and they were afraid it was being aimed at the plane, and it made them so afraid to fly out over the sound that they almost turned around and went back to JFK. So it's interesting because these are documented cases where... Again, what appeared to be projectiles being fired at planes or flying dangerously close to them were occurring over Long Island Sound. And then right around that same time, within months of before and after, we have TWA Flight 800 go down. Um, does that lend to the idea that perhaps the missile theory should be looked at more closely? If it had been a standalone incident, I wouldn't be saying that at all. I would say, okay, it sounds like it was probably the center wing fuel tank. But because I know that there were other projectile-like objects being seen around the time of the crash, I think that we have to at least entertain the theory that perhaps there was something more going on. And I'm not yeah. convinced, knowing the track record of secrecy that our government agencies have maintained, and that, of course, we all know about right now, I'm not convinced that maybe there hasn't been some secrecy involving TWA Flight 800 as well. Yeah. I wouldn't doubt it. Another thing that I've heard is that uh, there were naval war games in the area. Mm -hmm. That's yeah. another one that I've heard. Yeah, you know, but again, that 
I've heard that as well, but I mean, I don't understand why, if that were the case, you know, that would be the location. You know, I mean, a, a busy, uh, you know, flight path of, a, of an international commercial airport, you know, yeah. games would be carried out. I mean, that's like, you know, saying, let's go out here and test these AK-47s, you know, on, on a school ground, which tragically, and again, tragically, this has become such an issue in America today, things just like what I've alluded to there, that just this morning we've got this Navy Yard shooting. Yeah. Where well, let's talk about that since, you know, okay. we, we had the power outage last week and we we have this as a, you know, maybe fortunately or unfortunately a better uh, <laughs> thing to, to, to speak of. And that's what happened today. Um, you know, if anybody doesn't know, that's a shooting at the... Um, the Navy Yards in Washington, D.C. that happened earlier this morning as we record this on Monday, September 16th. And what is your, uh, what is your insight on that, what, on what happened? Well, as we understand it right now, right. what had apparently happened was, again, that uh, you know, a gunman uh, showed up. Uh, I believe that there were, the, the, the actual death count at this point is that there were 11 individuals that were killed uh, along with the gunman. Uh, but what's interesting about this story is that here again, in the hours that follow, immediately following this incident, I'm looking at my screen right now, and, I'm, and this is what the headline reads, okay? Navy Yard shooting conspiracy theory. Alex Jones calls incident false flag attack. Uh, you know, again, with despite... What I've said previously, with, with, with my respect for Alex Jones, both as a broadcaster and uh, you know, also, I think, as a person whose heart is in the right place and who is, to the best of his ability, trying to be a patriot and who is also trying to be uh, an informant and, a, a, you know, in a sense, even a protector, champion for uh, you know, the citizenry uh, in, in lieu of a government that I, too, feel, like Alex does, is getting out of hand. I still think that despite all of that, that Alex sometimes goes a little too far with his speculation. In the past, um, you know, I've had a, a lot of fun, you know, and of course people love to ask me to do the Alex Jones impersonations and things like that. That's all in good fun. That's not intended in any way to be disrespectful toward Alex. Uh, however, I do think, though, that, you know, sometimes he inflates his characterizations to the point that, I mean, literally... Uh, I hate to say, but it is fodder for for uh, for satire to an extent. But then there's a yeah. you know angle to this too, Adam. I mean, we're we're looking, for instance, at this story now that they're talking about how Alex Jones. The, the actual story was carried on a couple of sites. Alternet.com had carried one. The Inquisitor.com uh, carried this about an hour ago. They said that the Navy yard shooting in Washington D.C. has already spurned conspiracy theories of radio host Alex Jones leading the way. And the hours after the attack, and this is exactly what I'm taking issue with. In the hours after the attack, Jones speculated that the Navy Yard shooting may have been a false flag committed by our own government. You know, and it's just like he did this with Boston Marathon. It was hours after the Boston Marathon bombing. You know, our intelligence agencies had obviously been following the Sarnayev brothers, but the thing is, is that maybe ineptly as well, because uh, I think ineptitude has to be brought into question with regard to the. Uh, the Boston Massacre, because uh, how does the FBI interview what? I think they interviewed Tamerlan Sarnayev at least twice, had been following the guy. Meanwhile, 
They hadn't in, uh, implicated him in a homicide shooting that he'd been involved with where a drug deal went down wrong earlier, uh, you know, much earlier months, if not more than a year prior to the Boston Marathon, if I remember correctly. But yeah. in addition to that, he had been questioned by the FBI. They had said that they were concerned that he was a radicalized, uh, you know, individual because of the way that he had, uh, I think he had stood up uh, uh, and, and shouted uh, one day during, uh, I, I guess, I'm trying to remember all the specifics, but I think that in his, um, because he had, he had been a practicing Muslim, of course, I think he had stood up in his, and I want to use the correct terminology, but I believe that they'd refer to it as the imam, and, and he had jumped up and, and said that this was blasphemy uh, against Allah because, uh, essentially, the others there in the worship area had advocated uh, being able to acknowledge an American holiday, which in this case had been Martin Luther King Day. Uh, Sarniev apparently did not agree with that because it was against you know, the, the teachings of Allah. So, with all these things coming together, and the FBI had taken obvious interest and had questioned him, and all these things, how they didn't catch the guy, that is curious. But we didn't get that information at him until days or weeks after the actual attack. Yet again, just as we've seen today with this Navy Yard shooting, within hours, Alex Jones was out there saying, Folks, I'm sorry, but this just, just stinks of a false flag. <laughs> he said the same thing about 9-11. Maybe he's wrong. He said that about Boston Marathon. Maybe he's right. You know, he said it today about this Navy Yard shooting. The thing is, is that what's interesting to me, and I'm seeing a pattern here. Maybe the rest of you guys out there in listener land are, are seeing this as well. The pattern I keep seeing is that every time something happens, Alex wastes no time getting behind the microphone. And usually within just a few hours is the first guy jumping up and down saying false flag, false flag, false flag. Everything's a false flag. How do you know? Uh, I knew he was going to say it. Of course you. Uh, as soon as, soon as I saw it, I was like, "Oh, this, the news this morning. I better see what Alex is going to say about it." We could have some fun with this because you know, next time there's a, a, a horrible, terrible, deplorable act carried out by some idiot with a gun, and and by, by the way, I'm not a person who's an advocate of gun control. I don't think that gun control and legislating morality and getting guns off the streets is going to solve this problem any more than handing them over to criminals, which effectively really is what gun control would do if taken to extremes of literally taking guns off the streets. That's a whole other discussion altogether. But I think that despite my personal feelings about the right to bear arms, uh, you know, I think that there's obviously also an, a problem with idiots that get a hold of these things. So God forbid that it happens again, but if and when it does, we could all look psychic, you and I, because all we have to do is the minute it happens, go online, and we don't say that it's a false flag. We say Alex Jones is going to say it's a false flag because you know <laughs> he's going to. He does it every time. He does right. Absurd because, again, Alex Jones, I would say this to your face right now. Take no disrespect, but I very respectfully disagree with you that you have enough information to be able to substantiate the claim that this is indeed a false flag. And merely saying that this looks like something out of the CIA playbooks, a Manchurian candidate, you know, something along the lines of Sirhan Sirhan, just saying that with the scant information that we have and that we would have had by the time that he took the airwaves at, what was it like? I think he goes on the air at like uh, uh, noon or, 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 or 1 o'clock uh, central time, I think. Uh, you know, again, by that time, who had that kind of information? What information are you basing that extraordinary claim upon, Mr. Jones? He has, um, and this is an historic first, Micah Hanks on my program, calling Alex Jones out. 
we're gonna have the pay per view wrestle a thon here pretty soon. Yeah. Uh, but he, I, I, I really think now, you know, he used to be, and, I, and I'm really gonna say this: he used to be a voice for kind of just the alternative media, mm-hmm. and in many effects, he still is. But he has to be so alternative now that it's just that he has to push his the the seeds and the Berkey water filters and all this kind of stuff that in the survival gear and all this stuff that he has an audience that he has to play to. Oh yeah. He's also gotten to the point now where since Obama has been in and Bush was out because liberals used to love Alex Jones because he was so anti-Bush. Mm-hmm. You know? Uh, but, but as Obama's as Obama years have gone on, he's been more of uh, shacking up with the World Net Daily people and talking about uh, you know, talking about uh, how that, you know, we're supporting Al-Qaeda overseas in Syria and Libya, which is which may be true, but Alex twists it now to where he's kind of feeding on the whole fear of of Muslim terrorists. Talk about how they're killing Christians. And if you listen to his show, he's gotten much more, much more in with the kind of, like I've told you, like the World Net Daily people. And uh, uh, it's, it's gotten a little more, um, dare I say it, Tea Party-esque. In the sense of the controlled Tea Party. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I think that, again, Alex is smart enough to see through the BS that is the left and the right. You know, yeah. I, ever since I was 18 years old and old enough to get out there and actually vote, I've been a registered independent. I've never played the party's BS, and I never will. Um, I, if I choose to vote a straight ticket, it's because there are people on that ticket that I chose to vote for that, uh, well, I don't necessarily believe in them, but I think that they may be not as bad as the people on the other side in a given instance. And I'm, again, I'm not going to say that that is in, you know, definitely left or right. I remember part of what helped me come to this kind of a, you know, a kind of a moderate perspective, I would call myself, if anything, you know, an old liberal libertarian by modern day standards uh you know i i think i lean a little more to the right but again i'm not going to jump in there and call myself a republican you know you know gay marriage i don't have a problem with that you know uh you know topless rallies in downtown Asheville. some of my conservative colleagues here in Asheville actually take direct offense at that and try and prevent that and that actually is something that's ongoing uh under the uh, guys of the raelian organization some folks call it a cult uh, you know, gotopless.org and some of these websites and things. Um, I, again, am not going to get out there and try and lobby to say that women cannot go out in public and bare their breasts. Uh, you know, as a heterosexual male, I have absolutely no problem with women if they want to do that. However, again, I think the moderate approach is to say that while maybe they should be allowed the freedom to do that, I think that it should also be done in a way that is respectful and that is not overtly sexualized, especially in front of children or other people who may find it offensive. Uh, when you have a go topless rally downtown, and this is the problem that the conservatives here in Asheville, where I live, for instance, have, have taken, they, they think that the entire thing is disrespectful, it's morally degrading, and it's dragging you know, our society's morals down into you know, a living hellhole 
Uh, the sad truth of the matter is that I don't think that a few women who decide to bare their breasts in public and daylight, I don't think that that is the greatest issue that we face as a nation today. Sorry. But by the same token, the way that certain people involve themselves in that, I understand that this has to do with liberation. I understand that this has to do with you know, you know, sexual, uh, defining one's, you know, identity and their sexuality, and it's an empowering kind of thing. I understand that, but there are times where, and I've seen photographs that, you know, again, my conservative colleagues have put forward it to bolster their case, that it is overtly sexualized. At times, I think it is. Uh, and frankly, I would argue that the reason for that is because there are people who, you know, often the male spectators armed with cameras, you know, they want to get in there and act like creeps. And you'll hear even the women who are engaging in these protests saying, yeah, they're these, you know, the creepy guys. Creepy guys who'll get out there, you know, they stand a little too close. You know, they'll talk to you, but they won't, you know, look, they won't look you in the eye. They're looking at something else. They're taking photos without asking. Is that where Caleb hangs out at? <laughs> no, fortunately it doesn't. We've never made it to one of the top of the south. I, I, neither, I neither support those. Uh, you know, not that I don't, you know, say, hey, you know, if you have the right to do it, go for it. You know, I, I say I don't show up and, 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 and become a vocal supporter, nor do I really care, you know, what they, they do. We, we, I don't want to waste my time going up there and be- becoming embroiled in what I think is a non-issue, essentially. There's both good and bad with it. So, you know, I, I bring that to the table because this kind of shows where, where my mind is. Um, I'm not going to go to the far, you know, the paleoconservative angle. But, you know, by the same token, you know, I remember I used to want to vomit every day when I'd sit in there uh, in uh, the, the studios of uh, Clear Channel Asheville. I used to work in radio here. And I would have to produce, you know, some programs that were far more right and some that were far more left. Yeah. Uh, you know, again, I always gravitated toward the libertarian viewpoints. Um, and you can be libertarian, you know, both on the right and on the left. Uh, you know, I, I found myself resolutely gravitating toward, uh, toward the center but by the same token, you know, I would also, you know, hear good arguments and bad arguments on both sides. And I would just want to vomit sometimes because I had these two dear friends who would try and get me involved in gun de- uh, debates and things like that on a progressive liberal talk radio program. And you know, I'd, they'd say, Michael, why won't you talk with us? And I'm like, you know, because I was producing the program. And I'd tell them, guys, I can't talk with you because I don't want to make your argument sound bad in front of your listenership. But I'll absolutely deconstruct it and take it into the ground if I do. <laughs> you know? <laughs> And so, you know, there's a lot of hubris and a lot of silliness on both sides. When someone like Alex Jones comes along, who's willing to attack both sides, again, was he a liberal because he was attacking George Bush? No, he recognized that what George Bush was doing in many instances was not right. Is he a conservative because he attacks Barack Obama? Actually, I think he is only because he has actually defined himself as being libertarian and or paleoconservative in his political outlook. Right. However... Again, he is someone who is smart enough to recognize that although he can have his political beliefs and views, he doesn't have to append that to a party like so many other members of the American media and punditry do. They they actually do, you know, they'll, they'll say that they're fair and balanced, but you know, come on, they're they're basically, you know, cheerleaders for this party or that, and that is all a Fabian facade. It's all BS. Don't buy that crap. People, for God's sake, think for yourselves. You know, I almost regret making the analogy about voting, uh, you know, straight party because really I don't endorse doing something like that. Because again, if you vote straight a straight ticket, you know, that's really just I mean that is essentially kind of an endorsement for one side or the other. I always advocate look, vote for people, not for parties. You know, vote for individuals and ideals, not for politics. That's the thing. Alex is smart enough to get that too, but 
whichever side you know he is attacking at the time, the other's going to align themselves with him, and hence you know I think we have a lot of the uber religious right, and frankly the very paranoid element within the conservative uh, movements. Yes, you define this as correctly as being you know part of the Tea Party element. Those organizations and groups do tend to align themselves more with Alex Jones and his thought processes today. But anyone who has studied, and this is the last thing I'll say about that, is that anyone who has studied the history of conspiracy theories in America knows that both right and left, Democrats and Republicans, have advocated conspiracies and typically tend to do so when the other party is in, in, in charge. You know, if we've got a, a, you know, a, a, a Democrat president, you know, traditionally over the last several decades, it's usually the case that we have a president of one party and then we've got a House or a Senate controlled by the other party. Uh, very, very rare do you actually have uh, you know, you know, the best of both worlds there. But you'll notice that when we have a Democrat president, for instance, the right wing is, of course, attacked for conspiracy thinking and conspiracy theories like we see every day in the news right now. Yeah. I even saw Mother Jones Magazine, for instance, refer to Syria conspiracy theorists as being, well, conspiracy theorists, um, by asserting that perhaps Bashar Assad had not been involved in the attack. And the funny thing is, is that that UN report came out today, Adam, and it didn't say anything about who the, they actually felt was responsible. Right, right. It merely talked about the fact that sarin nerve gas was used. They haven't pointed the finger at anyone. Bashar Assad and his regime continue to deny that they were behind the attack. And there have been other sources, including a U.N. investigator a few weeks ago, that even suggested that evidence pointed to the rebels having launched the Syrian nerve gas rockets. So the thing is, is that what's interesting is that now you're a conspiracy theorist. If you read the news, especially news sources from outside the United States, and if you at least posit something that the Obama administration resolutely denies but has not provided evidence directly for yet, and that is that Bashar Ashad's regime absolutely without question was behind that attack. You're a conspiracy theorist if you suggest anything other than that Assad was behind it. I think that's just absurd. They also, by the way, said that the IRS and that the uh, NSA spying uh, scandals were quote-unquote effective non-scandals or non-issues. Anyone who thinks that that's the case is just delusional. No, they're just doing damage control. That was Mother Jones Magazine, by the way. I should find the link for you and send that along. Yeah, they're just doing damage control. Well, you know, I as think far as the, the IRS scandals and the NSA and all that, that's well, just... That, again, the IRS thing was so politicized. Of course, yeah. everybody on the right was saying, look at this, IRS is unfairly targeting conservative groups. And then what came out just a few... It took a couple of months, but once the actual complete set of documents was reviewed, it turned out that the IRS had not only singled out... They'd certainly been targeting conservative groups, but progressive liberal groups also were being targeted. Extreme organizations, Tea Party or progressive left, it was on both sides of the fence. If they were applying for nonprofits, the IRS was you know, being either extremely discriminatory against them and their practices, or they were ignoring them outright and prolonging the application process. So it was on both sides, but I see that both sides tend to try and politicize it. The first information that came out was right-wing groups, and so the, the, the right goes, see, there you go. This administration, and then it comes up the progressive groups were also targeted. Then the left goes, see, you conservatives are conspiracy theorists. Folks, when are you going to realize it's both? It's, it's, it's always going to be on both sides. If you put yourself in the middle, like I do, that doesn't mean that you are not... I remember Rush Limbaugh, American talk show host, once said that, you know, these people who put themselves in the middle, these moderates, that, that just shows that they're not bold enough to be able to go on one side or the other. 
it's funny. Everybody, everybody hears me do Alex Jones. You're not used to hearing me do Rush Limbaugh, but anyway. <laughs> just to show that I'm a master of all of these, these perspectives and points. You could do like a whole like talk radio lineup. I could do Phil Hendry's show. <laughs> I could I could be my guest and my host. <laughs> like I say, I still want to have you on as Alex Jones. So, yeah, well, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm tired of hearing people like Rush Limbaugh. You know, again, I listen to all these shows from time to time. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, if I'm driving down the road, you got to keep in mind I, lo- I worked in talk radio for years, and so I, I turn on the radio and I listen to whoever's on. You know, if, if George Norrie's on, you know, I'll tell you who I've been enjoying a lot lately. This is Clyde Lewis. You're listening to Ground Zero. That guy. Oh, yeah. Clyde Lewis, I didn't like that show at first, but the more I listen to him, the more I think. Now, granted, he gets so far out there with some of the kooky stuff. He really does. But what I like about it is that you can tell that there's not somebody sitting there. Granted, he's also on Premier Network, so, I mean, you know, maybe there is a bit of a corporate angle to that. But I don't take Clyde Lewis as being someone who, and maybe even less than George Norrie. Again, you know, I like George Norrie a lot, but I think Clyde Lewis is someone who is, you know, maybe the least of all the big mainstream talk show hosts out there, he's maybe the very least uh, controlled by conventional attitudes toward things. I mean, granted, you got to keep in mind that I think George Norrie's very unconventional, uh, you know, and so is Alex Jones, and I think that's the reason that those two have gravitated toward one, toward one another, and they, you know, host each other's, you know, uh, you know, host each other or take bring each other on as guests on their respective shows and things like that. But, but Clyde Lewis, again, he's in this kind of, realm all unto himself, he's proud to call himself a conspiracy theorist. I don't agree with everything he says, and I think he gets absolutely all far out there in left field sometimes, but at least he is promoting free thinking. You know, and that's something that we've tried to do with Paradigm Symposium too, Adam. People have said, if you, Mike, are not an ancient alien theorist, why the hell did you have Eric Von Daniken and Giorgio Sukulos in an event that you were co-sponsoring? And I said, the reason why is because I don't have to agree with somebody to promote the simple act of questioning and thinking outside of the box. I would, right. that's, that's something I learned from working in radio, too. You know, I could sit there and I could be behind the board producing a progressive liberal program. wouldn't agree with hardly any of it, but there would be you know, moments of insight that would shine through. You know, And then I could go and I could do the same thing on a far-right Republican program and just think, God, these people are absolutely stuck in the Stone Age. But there are bits of wisdom that come through. You know? Well, I could tell that, you know... When I saw that uh, you and Scotty had put L.A. Marzulli on the lineup, uh, yeah, I was I was very that made me very interesting because I've followed Marzulli for a long time. Uh, he has been one of the people that has really kind of uh, you know helped me formulate a, my, a lot of my ideas about uh, these kind of things, and. You know, I could tell that you guys were definitely going for a wide array there of speakers and ideas. A different, uh, which is kind of what I've done on this show. You know, there's been different, uh, different kind of people and different kind of uh, viewpoints. Well, that's you know, that's what you have to have, Adam. You know, and that's something I've always <laughs> since day one. I, I literally, yeah. I think I was one of the. The, the second or third guests that you had on the program and so you know it's, yeah. it's been cool watching this show develop grow thank you expand <laughs> but what I really like about it I always told you this from, from day one which actually I think I was the second guest so we'll say day two in this instance but you know you, you, the name is so good you know conspiracy you couldn't have picked a better name for a program in this day and age in which we're living where literally I've got a news feed that I've set up on my on my secondary computer here in my in my office 
uh, that is just for conspiracy theories, and it, it collects conspiracy theory stories for me through that filter. I've got a UFO, an artificial intelligence, you know, and I've got uh, other ones over here, you know, that are more political on my personal computer. But what's interesting is that right now, I more than ever on, on the Micah Hanks program, you know, that I'm, I'm doing a Sunday night program at 8 p.m. Uh, and if people want to learn about that, they can just visit MicahHanks.com, my personal site. Um, we interviewed the uh, he's soon to become the managing editor of Reason magazine at, at time uh, right right at this moment he's the books editor but his name is um Jesse uh, oh gosh hold on now watch me uh, draw a blank and, uh, and and forget his last name which is absolutely terrible because I've actually got his book sitting right here I should be able to know this but anyway um, the book is called the United States of Paranoia uh, uh, Paranoia and if you look at this book. It, it, it gives you kind of a, I would say like a, uh, a, a United States history of conspiracy theories, okay? And the thing about it is the, that if you look at the history of conspiracy theories in the United States, what you begin to see is that, well, first of all, there are actual conspiracies. They actually do happen. But right. people's thought processes tend to gravitate toward uh, conspiracy theories. They always have. Uh, it's nothing new. It's just though that with the dissemination of media, the way that it is, it is presented today. And Jesse Walker is his name. I can't believe I forgot that because again, we had a wonderful interview with him. But uh, in his book, The United States of Paranoia: A Conspiracy Theory, Jesse looks at the lineage of conspiracy theories and conspiracy thought and shows it's nothing new. But I think that the way that media promotes it these days, I mean, it's just like this burning kind of. It's like a wildfire that's gotten out of control. And everything is conspiracy, not because people choose to make it conspiracy, but because media plays off the sensationalism of conspiracy belief in that, that has been present and remains present in America today. And so, when you're talking about conspiracies, you know, again, conspiracy has become the norm. And with a program titled Conspiranoia, I mean, that is a statement on America and American life today. That is exactly what we live in. Jesse Walker calls it the United States of Paranoia, you know, and I would call it, you know, the, the, the state of affairs in America today is conspiranormal because conspiracy has become the norm for people. Anyone who doesn't believe that, just look at the news every morning. You're going you're gonna to find every single morning a new, set, not just one, usually it's several stories that take a conspiratorial angle toward things, and that's partially thanks to the Alex Joneses, partially thanks to the Clyde Lewises, partially thanks to the George Norries and the Art Bells. You know, partially thanks to the Adam Sains and the Micah Hankses, you know, and of course to people's natural inborn tendency to believe that when they are not presented with all the information about a circumstance, that there is something more that can be inferred, and thus the pieces of the puzzle that are missing are filled with speculation, and this is what leads to conspiracy theories. Conspiracies are the normal right now in America, and that's... You know, yeah. And I think we have to look at that and, and 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 ask if that's a good thing or if that's a bad thing. Well, it's maybe both good and bad. And yeah. To be brief, because I know we're getting short on time. You know, I think that it's it's good that people question, and this is something with Paradigm Symposium. I've purposefully tried to do is get people whether you agree with L.A. Marzulli, whether you agree with P.Z. Myers or Scotty Roberts or I. You know, ask questions and, and draw your own conclusions. Giorgio Sukolos. Uh, you know, had said, uh, and again, I don't, you know, endorse his version of ancient alien theory by any means. I really don't. But Giorgio 
uh, you know, again, I find him to be a spiritual person, um, and I find him to be someone who um, maybe is a little difficult to work with at times, but then again, who isn't? Uh, Giorgio, nonetheless, is also someone who advocates free thinking, and one of the best things that he ever said, um, and I love this, he, he had said, I end my presentations and say, now, don't believe anything that you just heard me say. Don't go and watch Ancient Aliens. Don't go and sit there and read, you know, watch videos on your on your YouTube and, you know. He said, go, buy, go get a book. Go read a book. Do your own research and come to your own conclusions. And Giorgio could not be more correct. Yeah. And, and that's something I've tried to do with Parad- Paradigm Symposium. When it comes to conspiracy theories in America, yes, questioning things is good. By the same token, though, again, I think this is where Alex Jones gets a little dangerous. Asserting that every time we have a horrible tragedy occur, that our government did it with no facts to back that up, that is purely dangerous. Yeah, uh, I mean, I believe it is. I mean, if the if the facts um, warrant that the government probably did do it, you know, I would definitely look at it. But just jump into a conclusion. I mean, I think he sees himself as a watch, as a as a watchdog in a way. Yes. But he's it, by doing that he's he's come to um just jump to to absolute conclusions. There's certain things that I could look at that case today and say okay, maybe that was a conspiracy, maybe that was a false flag, but maybe it was just two crazy guys with with guns. I mean, there's obviously historical precedent for operations that go on and and you know, right. the CIA had acknowledged that you know the uh the uh, derailing of uh, the uh, Mohammed Mossadegh uh, in, in Iran in the 1950s, uh, you know, the removal of Mossadegh from power had actually been an organization, or rather an operation, carried out in part by the uh, CIA. And it's funny because that came out like, what, a week before what we saw in Syria. And I'll tell you the truth. Yes, and I love this because I know that there are going to be certain people that would say, listen to this conspiracy theory that this idiot is proposing. But I'm going to tell you, knowing that there is historical precedent for conspiracies and that they do happen, sure, I looked at this situation in Syria and I said, maybe the truth is not what we're being told. Adam, I have friends around the world, uh, you know, in higher places and people who are much more in the know than I am who have told me the same thing, who have shared the exact same concerns. And no, you're not crazy if you question the official narrative. But it becomes dangerous when you assume that the official narrative is absolutely always incorrect and that everything is wrong and that everything that you're told is complete BS. That's not always the case. What we have to be able to do is we have to be able to look at everything, case for case, fact for fact, instance for instance, and we have to ask, what can we discern? What does logic allow? If we allow logic to prevail, we will find that there are going to be a lot of instances where nothing is as sensational as people like Alex Jones would have us believe. And yet there will be that minority of instances where the worst the worst that could be actually is. And yes, we need people like Alex Jones who will point it out when that is indeed the case and when that's going on and when no one else is brave or bold enough to do it. But we have to be very careful about making a constant, ongoing, you know, nonconformist platform that asserts that every time a tragedy occurs that our own we're behind it because that may not be true and that certainly is not a rational logical world view in america today i just i simply and again i think yeah sure that alex is a good guy and that he means well i'd love to sit down and have a steak and a beer with him sometime they're down in austin texas sit down and 
Have a beer with him. Steak. You know, get a steak. Who's <laughs> what steak last night? No, I'm having fun. I, would, um, I kid you not. I'd love to meet Alex Jones, get to know him, talk with him. I know we would have a lot in common. But if I were sitting right here talking with him, I would say, Alex, how can you say that you know this Navy Yard shooting is a con- is a conspiracy? You know, and I'm sure he would bring up Operation Northwoods. He would bring up uh, you know Newton or Newtown, Connecticut. Again, I don't know that we have absolute rock-solid proof that that was an inside job, but I think that the half of the truth that does emerge with the Newtown thing is that there was a tragedy, absolutely without question, that occurred, but that for political reasons, certain people have sought to try and, if not profit directly from that tragedy, they have sought to use it to push and further certain kinds of political agendas in America. And so I thought at the end of the day, that's, I think, really the essence of the entire thing, Adam, is that there are actual conspiracies, but not everything is a conspiracy. And sadly, there are going to be people who, whether they're trying to warn us and they're trying to do good like Alex, or whether they are these corrupt bastards in Washington who would seek to push an agenda and, and utilize tragedy to inflate that message for good or for ill, I think that the truth is, is that it's going to happen. And that's why we all have to step way back and try and find that solid middle ground and plant ourselves firmly and look at all of this and say, okay, I believe nothing until I see the facts. Right. And and, and in times the facts may not be there till much, much later. And one of the things that I've thought about, too, especially in light of today and what happened today in D.C., you know, let's say, for instance, that the shooting in the theater in Colorado back last year Let's say that was a false flag, just for instance. Well, through the media attention of that, would that not um, inspire someone like, say, Adam Lanza to go and kill a bunch of people in a school? Would that not inspire possibly the uh, guy that uh, killed the the uh, the cop, the ex-cop that killed all those people in L.A. earlier this year? Would that not, in turn, inspire the person that would uh, that did this this morning? You know, so I think it's just a small snowball effect. You set something in motion, and people just in the media, of course, just eats this stuff up. I've often wondered, Alex or, or Adam. Sorry, I'm thinking about. I'm not Alex. Uh, <laughs> we're thinking about that other guy, Alex Jones. <laughs> You're getting better at it than I am. Ah, <laughs> oh, grasshopper. Well. <laughs> Ah, you learn that there is no grasshopper, but maybe the world around it. No, anyway. Yeah, don't know exactly where Swami Hanks was going with that one, or Sensei, rather. But, um, the um, two points about that. Uh, my colleague, Lauren Coleman, most uh, widely recognized for his work as a cryptozoologist. Uh, Coleman, uh, whom I've met on a number of occasions, have profound respect for, and I love him to death. Uh, Coleman... You know, he's he's one of the he's been one of my biggest influences over the years, and not just because he's someone who's been bold enough to ask if there could be a Bigfoot. Coleman, uh, actually, a lot of people don't know this, but I mean, it's it's all out there in the in the, in the, in the open, and it's you know it's public knowledge. He's he was trained as a sociologist, just like Tyler Pittman, uh, one yeah. of which is the Grayling Report here with me. Um, and when I met Lauren for the first time back in two thousand one or two, yeah. it was two thousand two. Um, you know, he asked me, I was, I was young at the time, and he says, so well, are you going to school? What, what are you doing, Mike? And, and I told him I wanted to go to school for psychology. He says, well, you know, my background is in, in sociology. And I said, really? He says, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, uh, and I thought that was really interesting. 
he wrote a book called The Copycat Effect that looked at exactly what you're talking about, the fact that media portrayal of violent acts may contribute to the furtherance of violent acts. And I often wonder sometimes, are we seeing more uh, widespread instances uh, and, and occurring more frequently as well that involve not only gun crime but these narcissistic bastards who want to go out there and kill as many people as they can and get their picture on television that night. Right. Are we seeing more of that, or is it that the media is feeding into the trap and putting their picture on every television network, on every front page of every newspaper in America? You know, which is it? Which is actually doing greater harm, the individuals wielding the gun or any other weapon? And I guarantee you, you take guns off the street, you're just going to hand it to the black market, and criminals are going to have them. And then, of course, people, you're going to see a greater incident of violent bomb-related deaths rather than gun-related deaths or violent knife-related deaths. People are going to kill. That's the sad reality. People are going to kill whether or not they've got a gun or a fork or a pencil in their hand. Whatever they need to do it, they're going to find and they're going to do it, and they're going to find a way to do it. And no amount of moral legislation is going to prevent a person whose intention is to utilize that tool to kill someone or to, or to actually perpetrate a, perpetrate a crime. No law is going to prevent that person from obtaining that pencil or that fork or that gun or that bomb in order to carry out that crime, you know. So anyway, but all that said, I wonder sometimes what's worse, the weapons or the people who are employing those weapons or the way that the media promotes this culture of violence by putting these people... I mean, I hate to say this, but in a way, Adam, you know, they, they are rewarded uh, with, at the end of the day, their picture uh, immortalized on the web and... Uh, yeah, they are. You know, and on the, and on the televisions... And in the the film documentaries and all these kinds of things, and while we we have to acknowledge this for the for the purpose of it being news, uh, you know, is it is it right to award these people with what they wanted, which was the you know to be remembered forever, uh, you know, as as the committer of an, a, a horrible act of violence against others? Uh, people you know, have a morbid fascination with it. Yeah, and they know that they know what will happen once they complete that. That whatever that awful goal is that they're shooting for, no pun intended, they know what's going to happen because they've seen the media do it to the Adam Lanzas, you know, and to the and to the man. It, uh, what was what is it? What I can't remember his name. The cop, the mad cop, you know, out there in in uh, California and all that. You know, it doesn't matter who it is. They're going to see what these people, you know, what the treatment was, and in a sick, twisted way. You know, I hate to bring it up because it's it's become a meme that's so overused. It's not even funny, but you know. In, in the dark night, of course, we see Alfred saying to uh, Mr. Wayne, some men just want to watch the world burn, you know. But it's the truth. Some people do just want to watch the world burn, and their divine, uh, romanticized uh, reward at the end of the day is having their picture all over, all over the news. They'll, by God, I might be a villain. I might have killed preschoolers and kindergartners, but I'll be remembered. Those sons of bitches will remember me. They'll never forget Yeah, me. they'll remember my face. <laughs> well, Micah, uh, we're about out of time, but uh, give us real quick your website, how people can get in touch with you, um, and also the dates and the website for the Paradigm Symposium again. Absolutely. If you just want to go to your browser and just type in www.paradigmsymposium.com, you'll see all the information there. It's the October the 17th to the 20th. Um, I'm going to be there along with Scotty Roberts, Robert Baval, Robert Schock. Uh, P.Z. Myers, L.A. Marzulli, Nick Redfern, David Weatherly, Marini Jones, and so many others. Uh, it's going to be the biggest block party 
uh, event of the summer. Uh, actually, it's really fall by then, but either way, you don't want to miss it. And just in time for Halloween, too. Absolutely. Um, in the meantime, people can follow me at my website, Micah Hanks. That's M-I-C-A-H. Hanks, like the actor Tom. MicahHanks.com. And as well, you can also go to, and I'm sure your listeners know about Graylian Report. That's G-R-A-L-I-E-N, GraylianReport.com. I've got daily news updates and podcasts that appear there. At MicahHanks.com, you'll see articles, news, and then, of course, also there's the Sunday Night Radio Program. Graylian Report podcast is made available for free on iTunes, but you can tune in live on Tuesday nights at 8 right there at GraylianReport.com. Sunday nights, you can tune in live to the Micah Hanks program from MicahHanks.com. The media player is right there in the toolbar, and you can see it just says, Click here to launch media player, and you can listen live. And uh, Graylian Report is absolutely one of my favorite podcasts, so... Ah, well, thank you very much. You know, I mean, it's, it's a labor of love, and you know that because yep. you're a podcaster. But, uh, yep. you know, all I have to say is, and a lot of people don't know this, but I believe uh, we can attribute the creation of podcasts to one former MTV VG, uh, VJ by yeah. the, Adam Curry. Yep. So uh, it's it's an incredible uh, culture, and uh, God, you know, I love it. And it may be tough sometimes, but it's it's more rewarding in the end than probably anything I've ever done. And thank you not only for listening, but... Thank you for having me on Conspiranormal, uh, one of my favorite podcasts. <laughs> Thank you, Micah. Uh, stay on the line. I'm gonna cl- I'll, I'll be back to uh, close out the show. All right, all right. Back on Conspiranormal. Um, yeah, you know who I am. Same guy it's always been. I uh, want to thank Micah Hanks for coming on. That was a really good show. Um, like I said, uh, that was his um, official third time on. Actually, it would be his actual fourth time, but... Uh, Chris and I were in here, and uh, we were talking to Micah, and all of a sudden, everything went black. So, for about uh, 30 minutes, sitting outside, waiting for the power to come back on. The power was off through all of our area here, and it took me another 30, 40 minutes to get get the um, internet to come back on. So, I was just sitting here, and so we decided to do the show tonight. But, uh, just wanted to add one thing about what we were talking about earlier, about conspiracy theory, uh, about what happened today. It's September 16th, 2013, uh, with this shooting. Um, one of the things that I've noticed with some of these um, events that happened, uh, the um, theater shooting that happened last year in Colorado, the uh, Sandy Hook that happened, is that you get these odd reports of two or three different shooters. This happened with Fort Hood, too, when I watched it. And usually um, you hear about another shooter that is cornered somewhere and another suspect somewhere. And this could all be an effect of kind of like the news jumping the gun. You know, We've seen that kind of thing before, but I like to call it the second guy thing. And then all of a sudden, it's always whittled down to one guy. And so what we're kind of hearing now, and as this show will probably be posted up on Wednesday, so things may have changed since then. But um, what we always see is one guy is usually to blame for it. So that's maybe something that is really suspicious to me. So just wanted to point that out. Uh, next week, hopefully Luke will be here. Uh, not Chris, if not the whole gang. And uh, we'll be talking to Michelle Ballinger. She is an, uh, an occultist, has been on uh, the show Paranormal State, helping out with their ghost hunting. And we're going to talk about um, ghost hunting, we're going to talk about the occult. So I'm hoping that uh, Luke will be there for his favorite subject. But until next time, I want to thank everybody for listening to uh, Micah Hanks tonight and myself. And uh, we'll be back next week on Conspiranormal. 
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.